0: Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the actions others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday, includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to BrianBeers.com to subscribe. everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Joe McCabe. Joe is an entrepreneur, a real estate investor, and the author of a new book called Maintain Your Gear, Surefire Strategies to Dominate, Execute, and Scale in Business and Life. He's also a good friend of mine here in Philly. Welcome back to the show, actually, for the second time, uh, Joe. What's
1: up, Brian? really appreciate it.
0: Yes. Actually, you were my eighth guest in May of twenty twenty one, the episode yeah. we recorded obviously earlier in that. But um yeah, so since we chat, it's been been a little bit. So can you kind of catch me up and in, in what you've been up to maybe the last couple of years, two years or so?
1: Yeah. So we've been um you know, our, our when I was first on the show, our core businesses back then were just kind of real estate, mortgage and title. Mm-hmm. And we were in the process of growing um, and we still are just growing as many national joint ventures with real estate brokers nationwide in the mortgage and title space. And we've been successful at that. We're looking to add many more. But in April of 2020, and I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but we had got into the home care business. And um that 18 months later is doing 20 million in revenue, and we just raised to $30 million fund. Um yeah we're going to acquire more acquire our franchise first most likely and then just kind of exit um, exit from that within like a 5 year period um, acquire the franchise work yeah that'll be one of our our buys so we we own a few franchises and then a few independents um, but the franchises have like a, there's a strategy behind it the franchises actually have a right to buy back. There, the franchisor has the right to buy back the franchisees. Yep. Um So that's an advantage that we want. That's it's not in our contract because we were smart enough to ask for it to be removed. But, um, but yeah. So that's the goal there. And then recently, we just got into the cleaning business. That was you know uh, we had a company approach us and say, "Hey, we're doing a couple million, but we don't have any systems. We don't have like literally working straight off a Google Calendar." And I was like, give me three weeks and we'll build just some systems. And, and that's what we did. So, you know, we got 50% of a cleaning company. And then of course, there's a book you mentioned. So we just, um, I had wrote, written the book strictly so that our business development and recruiters could use it as, as a giveaway for realtors when they meet with them and say, Hey, oh, this a book from our CEO, you know, um, all about him and how he got where he was. And, uh, Simon and Schuster ended up picking it up. And actually, publishing it. So it was supposed to just be a self-published Amazon book, uh, okay. but I met someone at Simon and Schuster, and it took off. And last week, I was an Amazon bestseller. So
0: okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, how'd that work, the Simon and Schuster? I was curious about. It. That was one of my questions too. I mean, it's a pretty big publisher. Uh, so how did how did that like come about?
1: Yeah, so I was actually um, I was on Ariel Island, um, which is. This girl from Nashville, Brittany Turner. Okay. Yeah. Um, really incredible. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Is that story. the GoBundance trip? Uh, so they may have a GoBundance trip there now. But, because. Okay. So we went there when the island first opened. Okay. Um, I actually went with Chris Ryan. And um, I hit it off with Brittany Turner. And it, it turned out that her husband was in the same unit as my chief of staff. Brittany and I hit it off because we've both been kind of bootstrapped real estate entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, that's how we got started. And, you know, I don't have a private island like she does, but she pulled that thing together and I was just super impressed. And so they, they asked me to be on the board of aerial recovery group, which is an anti sex trafficking operation. And they also do like natural disaster recovery. Um, and they do some veterans training programs. So veterans get to go to the Island and kind of be immersed in, um, You know, kind of getting them back on their feet, giving them skills, showing them how to operate in the civilian world a little better. And so that's a lot of fun. And, and when I was on the island, I got to meet a publisher from Simon and Schuster Mm. and I jokingly told him, I was like, Oh, you should publish my book, you know, and he's like, well, send it to me. I'll check it out. And, um, he called me back and now. He's like the next. Well, he didn't call me back. He walked up to me at breakfast the next day and was like, "Hey, what are we actually do want to publish this. I read this last night."
0: Okay, okay, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's cool. Do they may have to make a lot of edits to it, like going through a big publishing house?
1: So yeah, when I had initially done it, you know, we were ready to. When I met him, I was ready to self-publish on Amazon. I yeah, I thought I was. Yeah. Uh, nine months later, they finally published it on January third. So it was a while ago. Uh, there, there were multiple rounds of editing. Uh, they they outsource some, they in-house some. It's got to be signed off by their chief publisher, so it's it's a lot of work, um, but super high quality. You know, they they handle getting it. in Barnes and Noble, Target, yeah, Amazon, right. all the major bookstores. The you know they helped me with the Audible recording, so I didn't I really didn't have to do anything except show up where they told me um, and write the book.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I mean you, yeah. you got all these different things, right? You got your real estate holdings, you have these joint ventures, the home health care, you know, now a cleaning business, you know, obviously your book. What what gives you the most energy? Like where do you I guess where do you spend your time and how do you choose to spend it where you do?
1: So I get the most energy and the things that excite me the most from making new deals. I am good at operations because I hate operations. I hate the thought of overly complex bureaucratic systems. I they it drives me crazy because I feel like so many simple things and so many companies are just made to be so complex. Yeah. And they're very simple. Like you can overcomplicate anything. You can overcomplicate writing a book. You know, I did it in a couple of weeks. But I've always been that way. Like, how can I find the most simple way forward? And so making new deals has always been that excitement for me. Like, I, I don't care what type of company it is. The business operations are business operations. Like, yeah, there's the minutia of, How do you drive that business in? How do you get that revenue? And that's fine. You hire experts to run that. But when it comes to business operations and culture and all that stuff, you know, it's simple. It's the same across the board, in my opinion. And I just love going out there. Like on the healthcare side, I'll handle fundraising and acquisition. So I structure the deal and turn it over to uh, the team. And, um, one of my partners is apparently the chief growth officer of Ameribest. He was the CEO of the Jewish Federation. So like the guy is a pro can't take any credit away from it but when it comes to structure and deals that's my thing yeah i just love that part of it i'll even jump in on like agent recruiting if there's you know a need there i'll sell the joint ventures initially for title or mortgage but then we always have that team of experts that yeah, I fall back actually online. executes on it <laughs> i've never originated a- alone so
0: yeah, yeah but you own like you do mil- hundreds of millions probably in uh originations yeah, yeah. um yeah. i've never fixed a car so you know that's the same same thing right
1: Well, you know what's funny too is people uh, probably don't know, but you have an office across from one of my offices. So, oh yeah, an oil change place. Oh yeah, yeah, Frankfurt Frankfurt, Ave. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's one of our newer ones. Um, So, how do you find the partners? So, for for me, this is the biggest challenge. I'm similar to you. Like, I like the deals, I like that, but then a lot of like it is like we've always been the ones to also do operations. So then we're kind of like. You know, dilute, get diluted if, if we get into too much. And so, uh, what I've always kind of admire about y- you is, is this ability to, f- to find these people and, and do these partnerships with it so that you can continue to kind of scale and grow and focus on the things that give you energy. So talk to me. So like, how do you find the person? And let's talk about how do you structure like the, the actual like partnership deal for home healthcare or whatever, either one of these cleaning company done, pick one. I don't really care.
1: So. Yeah. So I guess the best one to talk about would be the title one. So when we go into that relationship, we're looking for a partner that already has, you know, we're not looking for a startup. So we're looking for a real estate brokerage is used to the in-house relationships with title mortgage. We just do them a little better. Give them equity. Give them something they can sell. They're building their company's value, their personal net worth, whatever is important to them. Sometimes it's just cash flow, unfortunately, and they're not thinking about the long term. But yep. we go to them and we maintain control of that relationship. We are the managing partner course we want their advice we're inside of their office we're working with their agents and if they stop using us there's no money for anybody but when it comes to control we have the ultimate and final say um for anything like that um mainly for licensing purposes and we're holding you know sometimes 10 15 20 million dollars per joint venture in escrow um yeah. you know as deals are funding so it's super important that we have control and when i had you know i look at uh, derek my chief of staff, who you know, we both got someone from uh, Sodif. Um, that was super important to me. That was something I'd thought about for a while. I was like, you know, the next person that comes into the surefire group, the parent company of all this needs to be, I was, I just wanted another military guy, like a guy that understood me, understood him. We could have a beer together. No one got offended by anything. And it's just like, it's just more yep. fun. And and we've we've seen a lot worse shit than what happens on our day to day. So nothing phases us. Yeah. Um, especially Derek. Derek was like, you know, in Syria for multiple deployments. Um yeah, yeah. But so that's how we choose the partner. Like it's it's gotta be someone you like. Um, but it's gotta be or it's gotta be a relationship that you control.
0: Yeah. So what's it look like for the the home health care? Like how, who's your who's your partner on that?
1: Yeah, so that's um Mike Farina. Um, and we have two other partners that uh, don't manage the business as actively as we do. Um, but Mike's kind of so the, t-
0: the leader; like he's kind of the guy who's in the in it every single day. Like, yeah, we look at Mike as our
1: CEO. Yep. Okay. Mike is essentially the CEO. Um, he is the industry expert. He is, you know, one of those guys that when you Google home care, his name will come up. And, um, and how would you find him? Just pure chance. So one of my one of my buddies, uh, one of my partners in that entity. Him, he was going to put up the money and we were going to buy our first location in Lake Jackson um, um, in Texas. And he said, you know, I think I know a guy in home care. And it turns out the guy he knew was the CEO of the Jewish Federation Philly, but specifically their non-medical home care division. And so we called them and we were like, Hey Mike, we just bought a company. We don't actually know what we do, um, but it makes a lot of money. We don't know if we build Medicare or Medicaid. He's like, Yep, he's like you're in the non-medical home care division or or space, and we asked him to be a partner. And a few months later, he brought in a friend of his that runs Bayata in Florida. So now we have kind of two industry experts, Kevin and Mike, and then me and Tony. Uh, Tony handles like our—he used to run facilities for Comcast, so he runs like all of our facilities-related things because uh, we have nine or ten locations now doing that twenty million. Okay, um, so these are some
0: physical. These so are physical locations too, like offices all or physical like, locations. Like, yeah, Yep. Like, but 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 it's all in-home care, right?
1: It's all in-home care, but you're required to have an office in most states, but and so we have, yeah, small like most offices, of our employees right? are caregivers. Yeah, yeah, they're small offices. Like for Pittsburgh, we have, call it like 150 caregivers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but we have an office staff of three people that support all that.
0: Yep yeah i've been I've been researching a lot about especially on the franchise side there's tons of them right there's tons of different franchises that vary in kind of what they do but then they're all kind of similar in a lot of ways so which which one are you are you part of for your franchise care
1: builders care builders at home
0: and what what was like why why was it them was it what was available or was it was there more thought
1: like competitive yeah advantages? there was no no there was there was no strategy they were just listed in late Jackson and, and and it was for sale
0: had cash flow, and so he said, "All right, this sounds good." It had
1: cash flow. I was just going to do it myself, regardless, and it just ended up being a good deal. We, when we had, we had really hit it off with the franchisor. Uh, there are a couple of like older guys in New York City. They're, you know, they're on their way towards retirement, and they've had a few successful franchises that they've sold and exited from, and. A lot of their franchisees are older. So they said, Look, we've got a lot of businesses that we can pump your way. And I said, Well, that's fine, but we're only doing this to exit. So, um, you know, I'm going to bring in some really good people. We need to remove like our non competes. We need to remove the uh, restrictive covenants that you guys have in there that were pretty restrictive. Like, you're obviously not going to have the ability to buy us back 100% seller finance. That's not going to happen. So we took all that stuff out. They started actually helping us acquire their own franchisees. And next thing I, you know, next thing we knew, we were like 60% of their total revenue um, before we had grown organically. Yeah.
0: Okay. And what are you doing in, what are you doing out of them in in care builders and revenue?
1: Um, In revenue, we're about 20 million under them.
0: Okay. Can you speak at all to any of the margins, gross or net, whatever you want to share or not? It's fine.
1: Yeah. We see, so our gross, our gross margin, uh, they handle all of our billing, So we, yeah. we always talk in gross margins. So the gross margin after we pay the caregiver is like 49% of the company.
0: Okay. So after you pay the caregivers, you're doing 10... You got 10 million, roughly. Right? And the caregivers... Yeah.
1: They probably take...
0: They handle the billing, right? Which is, I think, unique in in their case when I was doing my research on it. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Very unique. Um, most franchises just give you the logo. Yeah. like It's like, hey, we have the logo and access yeah. care. Well, anyone can do that. I mean, you don't need a franchise for that. They handle the billing, which, um, is good and bad because, you know, you're relying on an outside person to do all your billing and you're lagging 60 to 90 days. So initially that's a little sketchy because you you join a franchise, you got to put all in all the money to run this for 90 days before you get paid. But so far, so good. No problems.
0: How many markets do you have now? Did you say nine?
1: Yeah. So we're, um, we're kind of doing a, almost like a roll-up strategy. Yeah. Um, so we're in Pittsburgh. We just got into Philadelphia. We're in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We're in um, Lake Jackson, Texas, Houston, and Austin. I okay. Think.
0: So these are other franchisees. They want to get out. They go to the franchisors. So they want to sell. And they say, Hey, go talk to Joe. You talk to them. I'm assuming structure a seller finance deal to, to buy it. So can you talk me through yeah, what so- like?
1: Actually, the fund. So the, the fund that we started, we're actually partnering with uh, Christian Mack, and so the Terra Rosa Family Office is backing us. So they'll be part of the GP with us and helping us from like a, a fund administration perspective because we've never done it before. So <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll have some help there. Um, but he was, you know, one of the things that him and I were in Dubai together in December of uh, twenty or no January of twenty two, and. I was telling him about how we're acquiring these things at like one and a half times, EBITDA. someone some of them we got for free, like literally take our, take it. I don't even want it. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, and a lot of these people were just their mom and pops that don't, they've never put a value to their business. So like we're not taking advantage of anybody or anything like that. They just don't, they never thought it was worth anything. A lot of them are just like, they're interviewing us thinking that they're giving us their business and we're trying yeah. to pay yeah. them. And yeah, they're like, what okay. are you doing? Yeah. Um, and that's happened a couple of times because you know, a lot of these people are like retired medical professionals that get into this for some extra cash and and that's it, that's all they wanted. Um, so our biggest thing has been we've acquired these for they could easily trade for three to four times even out by themselves individually. Yeah, but instead we're buying them for one and a half. So we've got instant value now that we're at twenty million. Um, the total company could be valued between six to eight times EBITDA. Once you cross the twenty-five million threshold, with as many markets as we have, um, is where you start really seeing crazy valuations. Like it, you know, if you find someone that is strategically looking for what you have, we've seen as high as twelve times EBITDA above twenty-five million um, with a mm-hmm. couple of metros. So, even though it's a franchise, yeah. So the franchise, there are specific private equity buyers that only want franchises um, because they don't actually want to do any of the, like the work. Um, They want to own it because they want to bundle all these up and then sell them. So they'll do the similar thing that we are where they're like, Hey, we'll keep it under the franchise, but we need the ability to sell in five years without you guys getting in our way. Um, The franchise has to be
0: okay with all that. Right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's why we just want to buy them. Because then, if we bought we bought them, we wouldn't care anyway. Um you're going to buy
0: because you said they're old guys out of New York. They kind of want to get out potentially. Yeah. You, you become the franchise or you already own 20% of the system, I think you said, or account for 20% of the revenue, whatever that number is 60. Yeah. 60. Oh, so 20 we, million, 60%. Okay, so, people. you're like, yeah, you yeah. kind of have the lion's share already. And then you then open up new branches too. I mean, because you got to have growth that's not just more than acquisition, right? To make it worth it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we're the main purpose of it, we can buy them. You know, they're getting eight percent of our revenue as that's the fee they charge. Yeah. So, you know, you do the math on that; they're really not walking away with that much money, and they're a small fran- They're a smaller player, so you know that would only add like three million or so to our top line from what the, now the franchisees will be paying us. So it's not huge, but the advantage is now we can go to those franchisees and buy them back if we wanted to. Or we could just, you know, continue to operate those franchisees, use that cash flow to then do more acquisitions. Um, And now we have a franchise that's part of the fund. And, you know, in 5 years with the way that these things are cash flowing and obviously the way that the population is aging and and things like that, I mean, there's a good, there's an opportunity to stay in and maybe not sell. Like we may in 5 years just refi with a large bank, pay out all the investors who want to get out. And just keep keep rolling with the cash flow.
0: Yeah. So what do you... Can you share your netting on that? On the 20 million?
1: On the help. Yeah. On the 20 million? Uh, Ballpark, 12%.
0: Okay. So you got 50 gross. Number. Right. So 50, 50% off the top is going to the, the caregivers. And then you got 10% probably in like royalty and advertising. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, eight, We're at 8 now. But okay. everyone else is at 10. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that gets you down to, well, let's say, 40. And then what... You know what's the other gap is it is it kind of the overhead of all the managers you need to to, to manage all the the caregivers because there's no like yeah I mean, the lease is nothing right like insurance probably isn't that much like is that the rest of the cost is ma- management overhead
1: yeah and we we own all the buildings for the most part that we're in yeah so it's um the the cost of just the local administration costs it's a the the healthcare business is inherently a high value. Business. Yeah, um, you have to be, and and a lot of our, you know, we love private pay because it's instantly higher margin, right? And you can charge more. But most of the business is um, Medicare, Medicaid. It's one of those yeah.
0: like 60%, they pay right? you back. sixty percent
1: 40. Yeah, and it's, it's not a great reimbursement, you know. So, and and people need to make you know anywhere from ten to fifteen dollars an hour, but maybe you're only getting reimbursed seventeen to twenty an hour, or, or you know maybe a little more. And you want as many as many twenty four hour cases as you can, but you know you can't pay those people overtime because
0: yeah, yeah. You, have no you don't margin. even
1: get reimbursed enough to pay them overtime. So it's that is the hardest part of the business. It's it's staffing, it's managing overtime, yeah. and it's working on low margins. But but that's what discourages a lot of these smaller mom and pops is you know they really do get stuck in a place where they're now relying on this income to live, where we're not. So we're investing every dollar into growing the business, stamping yeah. this up with like great people. Like we just hired another. Uh, we're in the process of hiring another um, director who's really strategic from another company, and that's where all our money goes. So for us, the margin doesn't matter as much because we're we're focused on the five year exit.
0: Yeah, build the the, build the volume. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, staffing seems to be when I was thinking about it, just the biggest challenge of the the amount of turnover uh, you would have, and then I don't know just. All all the moving pieces there. I mean, you probably have hundred. I mean, what hundreds of employees? I would imagine, seven hundred. Yeah, it's
1: over over. uh, We're probably about four, about four hundred or so.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, And then the the healthcare industry again is it's very much as you know it's very much there is a high turnover. There's a high turnover because you'll have it's kind of sleazy, right? Like Philadelphia is going to be a tough market because. You know, you live here. You see it. Patriot, all these other companies, they'll call you and offer you like a quarter more, and people will switch for that. Yeah. Um, you know, which is actually a shame if you think about it, but but people will leave a company for a quarter.
0: Yeah. So how do you battle that, or what's your plan to to battle that?
1: Well, we try to just be. You know, a lot of those companies have zero relationship with their caregivers, um, so we just do our best to. You know, while being focused on building the value of the company, we try to build. Uh, the culture in house and do different um, incentive type programs for for the employees. Get them over time where we can. Things like that that other companies aren't doing. We try to get the benefit, better benefits than than they're getting elsewhere. That type of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's t- tough.
0: Yeah, it is because at that certain point, like your your sales are derived by whatever the the government is willing to pay. So it's like hard to keep giving people raises and raises if the government's not. You know, raising what yeah, you guys are getting, exactly. right? So then your margin shrinks on your most loyal people, like, and it's kind of then kind of disincentivize loyalty at a certain point. At a, I don't know, unless obviously the the income continues to rise faster than the raises. Yeah. But cool. So talk to me a little bit about the the book. Like, what's give me give me the overview? I mean, I've got the kind of the the contents here, but you know, give me the the high level over here of of who's the book for, and like, what's kind of your main like goal in in it?
1: Yeah. So we went. um we actually went to a business summit that Grant Cardone put on in like September of 21. Okay. And one of the sessions was about marketing. And um, I probably said this on your last show. I hate social media. I, I like, I despise the things that yeah, are yeah. on there. I think that it's a, a lot of bullshit. Well, podcast okay, though, obviously I'll yeah, do that. Sure. Yeah. And so one of my recruiters is like, Joe, you're screwing us. Like we need to have some type of social media presence. And so I just wouldn't agree. I was like, "There's no way I'm doing it." I was like, "I'll write a book, and you can use the book." And that's how—that's kind of how the book started. And and again, we never expected Simon the Schuster to pick it up and want to publish it. So what I really wanted to do though was because I didn't have social media, and I didn't—you know—we have—we've got to have total in our company like 700 people um, across all brands. So it's really hard for me to get in front of everybody. This book was like a way for them to get to know me and a way for me to try to inspire them and for me to say like, Hey, this is how quickly I did what I did. And this is exactly how I did it with real stories, you know, real tangible things. It's a bit of a raw, raw entrepreneurial book. But, you know, I think what it tries to portray more than anything else is that you really don't have to know anything about any of the industries that you're going into. Um, you just have to really, you know, Put in the work and put yourself in situations and in rooms and um, spend uncomfortable money to be around better people. And, you know, I try to talk about some of the things I've had, some of the letdowns, some of the um, false starts, a lot of false, false starts. And, um, you know, I think that it, it really breaks it down as far as everything from how we hire people to how I try to lead the companies to how I structure deals. To how, you know, seller financing is an option if you're not bankable or you don't think you're bankable and how, you know, it's easier to finance big deals than it is small deals. Like as surprising as that is, um, like I can't get a loan from a bank, but I can partner with a family office and raise 30 million. It like doesn't make any sense. Um, but I try to outline that for people so that they can, you know, understand that anything is really, really possible, um, at any level that they're at, but they have to be willing to scale.
0: Okay. And what do you think holds people back from wanting to scale?
1: So I think there's a really big cultural problem with entrepreneurship. I think that there is this solopreneur idea that people just need to work for themselves. And I don't know that they actually know what that means. I think that they just want to work for themselves so that they can say that they work for themselves and that no one tells them what to do. And that is a wrong freaking target. You know, you do work for other people when you work for yourself. You work for the 700 people that work for you, and every single day I bust my ass to keep the companies going. And a lot of these solopreneurs just they just want the freedom, this quote unquote freedom. Well, I can tell you that after achieving 40 million in revenue in six years, I'm nowhere near the freedom part of this yet. You know, I still got to show up every single day, and. You know, so I think that a lot of what holds people back is themselves. And I think that they get into entrepreneurship for the wrong reasons and they get bad advice from people on social media, which is why I stay off of it. There's no four hour work week, there's no 40 hour work week if you want something big. And that does mean that, yes, you can't have the balance, right? You're not always going to be there for all your kids' sporting events if you want to build a billion dollar company. Like, there are sacrifices to be made. And I think people don't realize that. I think they think they're getting into this for freedom, but they don't realize that the freedom is the marathon part of this. That's what you get after building a true company with real employees, real revenue, years from now. And being an R three hundred and sixty, you know, I've put myself around people that have actually done that. You know, R three hundred and sixty is like the next level of go abundance, basically, and that's what Chris Ryan, you know, had jumped away to start and. And those people built companies for years. And you know, I work with a lot of their kids in in the Rising Leaders program. And you hear that from their kids, like, oh, my dad wasn't really around, or like, I can't compete with my dad. But but that's what it took, you know, like that's what it took to build something great and big. So I think people just really don't know what they want. They think they do. Um, but I think, you know, there's gonna be a shift, right? And this market changing is gonna wipe out a lot of these solopreneurs. A lot of them are in real estate. I mean. There are so many real estate deals going on right now. I haven't invested in real estate in two years. This is just a really good example. And I'll meet these people that just got into real estate, and they'll present a deal that I would never put a dollar in. Yeah, and they definitely. think it's the greatest freaking deal in the world, and I'm like, you're wrong. You're just freaking wrong. You know? Yeah.
0: yeah and then they put like all their money into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like Bonus has had a couple of guys like,
0: oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the triple net, the triple net stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yep.
0: Yep. So, yeah, I think that's good. And, and it's like, a, but it, I mean, it's a balance of what do they want to achieve, right? That's part of the goal setting too. If you want to achieve yeah. this massive wealth, like you said, you're not going to do it, you know, working, working four hours at the beach. Um, but, you right. know, <laughs> but there's something in between too. Like it's, I think it's, but knowing that there's no, I don't know, passive income in a lot of ways is elusive in that got to work for it, right? And I think some people want to to too quickly to shortcuts rather than do the work to build the business, right? And then once you have it built up to a certain level, then that's when you know it, it time comes disconnected from your income, right? Which is yeah. kind of the goal. Um, so
1: even even like, and that, I think that's a um, that's an interesting thing too because I started calling the Shorefire Group a private equity company because we have our four operating.
0: Companies. Sounds cooler too, right? Right.
1: It sounds, and it's way easier than saying, well, what business are you in? Real estate, mortgage, title, and healthcare. It's like, well, we're in private equity. And then people are like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we have our four operating companies and there is nothing passive about any single one of them. And, but some people would say that technically title mortgage is passive because of real estate, but we've scaled those into joint ventures. Um, I would tell you that none of that is passive. The other thing is all of my investments that are passive, like, Investing in people's funds, people think that passive income. They think in a very short time period. Uh, we have over forty-five investments now um, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range in various companies. Probably some that you're you're invested into from GoBundance. Yeah. Um, like a lot of these deals that come through, these are five and ten-year plays. So yeah, you know, there's nothing. The real passive income. It's still a long time. Like you're relying on someone else to build a billion-dollar company because you're already running your four operating companies. You can't do anything else. So you know you invest with other people and count on them. And I think that like, especially in the real estate industry, I always get back to this because I interact with our realtors a lot. It's like they'll think of passive income. Like, can I add fifty dollars to this deal by selling a home warranty? And I'm like, dude, wrong freaking target. Like, fifty dollars should not be making a difference in your life. I really hope it's not. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's great for the home warranty companies, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think you know, it's just not a lot of big thinking going on, and I want there to be.
0: Yeah, one what, what of the chapters you have is on decentralized command. Can you can you speak a little bit to I guess how that worked in the org- organization? Uh, I mean, I'm curious to the home healthcare. Well, these ones are spread out across multiple states, like and and how they operate. Uh, that balances, you know, decisions have to get made with systems and processes need to get followed, right? Uh, so, what does that look like?
1: So before I even knew what decentralized command was, one of the first mentors that I ever had um, was this older Jewish guy in Mount Airy. We actually one of our offices like around the corner from his office now. He's been Bob Mazer. He's our money lender in Philly. He's at one. He's owned thousands of units. And one of the pieces of advice he would give me, I was like, you know, was that he always acted out of fear and he always played too small. And he was always afraid to not, to kind of buy outside of Mount Airy because he knew Mount Airy so well. He was yep. never going to leave Mount Airy. He knew everything about it. And so he overlooked Manioc and he had an opportunity to buy hundreds of properties in Manioc from sheriff's South for three to $10,000. And he mm-hmm. said, Nope, I don't know the area. It's never going to go anywhere. Well, anyone who's from Philadelphia knows Manioc did go somewhere. Yeah. And Bob would have been probably a billionaire, but he's not. He's worth. Maybe 20 million, as what he tells me. Yeah. Um, I've far surpassed that by casting a much wider net. And so that was one of the pieces of advice I always got. And I always, some people wanna keep everything close to the best. And I don't think you can if you wanna scale quickly. You can keep some ideas to yourself, but you have to hire people and trust people. And, and decentralized command and higher hire fast, hire fast go kind of hand in hand because you gotta be able to hire someone, give them a lot of leeway. Hopefully not enough for hang themselves, but enough room to run a division and do it well, and then be willing to let them go if they're not the right person. Be will, you know what? Some people people don't expect leaders to always be right. Sometimes they're just hoping that you make a call. Just make a freaking decision, and yeah. if you're wrong, change it. It's not hard. And I think that's, you know, kind of what holds people back. And so, you know, one of the strategic reasons, I call him my chief of staff. Derek calls himself the chief operations officer. So I think it sounds cooler. But, you yeah. know, I was like, I need a military guy that understands these same concepts that we learned there. Because in the military, a 25-year-old kid could be in charge of hundreds of dudes and yep. like hundreds of millions of assets. Like that takes a significant amount of confidence. Yeah. And people who weren't exposed to that in the military, like, they don't get it, right? And in colleges, we're getting safe rooms now or whatever the hell they call that. Safe spaces and yeah, yeah, stupid yeah. shit like that. And and in the military, you don't have that. You know, It's like, all yeah. right, cool. Uh, welcome to the military. Here's 20 guys. Go take that hill. That's crazy.
0: Yep. Yep, that's awesome. Cool, man. Well, where can people connect and learn more uh, about you? Where can they buy the book? Uh, give me all the links.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, um, the book is uh, Maintain Your Gear. So that's on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Target. Um, there's also links to it if they go to the surefiregroup.com, but, um, the surefiregroup.com has all our social media on there and our, our, uh, YouTube pages and stuff like that. But if anyone, you know, ever wanted to reach out about, you know, real estate title, mortgage, healthcare, doing joint ventures, whatever they can, you know, just email me or text me, um, emails, Joe at the surefiregroup.com. And then, uh, uh, my cell is 215-868-6379.
0: Awesome. Cool. We'll, we'll link all those up. And for someone who hates social media, though, I've been seeing all your uh, Facebook reels pop up. Uh, oh, I meant pr- to get to that pr- promoting your 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 book. I, I'm assuming that's why you did it.
1: Yeah. Well, I meant to get to yeah. So we after the book had kind of like taken off. One of the strategies was that we hired an in-house videographer, and then yeah. we actually hired Snoop Dogg's videographer, okay, Rizzo. So one of the things we're doing is going around to our loan officers all of our companies yeah. every month building as much video content as possible so that the agents don't have to pay for it so that they have social media content they can leverage and in turn my team has convinced me that i need to make videos i still do not have i don't have linkedin facebook instagram or anything okay. on my phone because it drives me crazy yeah. someone else monitors that all day It's not me i i can't even watch those videos because i just like yeah, yeah. Just, I just like, they're cringeworthy to me, but like, I know it's good advice and people really enjoy it, but I don't like seeing myself up there.
0: Yeah. That's all right. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on sharing your story. Uh, I'm going to be sure to, to check out the book. Luckily I got a, a, a copy of it already and, um, yeah, good luck with everything. And, yeah. Hopefully we'll, we'll chat and, uh, uh, next time on the podcast and get an update of how you, uh, bought out your franchise or and sold it to private equity for, for hundreds of millions. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'll be on my private island. There you go. All right. I'll talk to you.
0: That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't.